0: Hello, I'm Michael O'Toole, Crime Correspondent with The Star. Welcome to another episode of The Star's special podcast series focusing on the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. As you will know by now, Mr Hutch is on trial at the non-jury special criminal court in Dublin. There, he is charged with murdering David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in North Central Dublin on the 5th of February 2016. That is a charge he denies. Two men are on trial alongside Mr Hutch Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are not charged with the murder of David Byrne. Instead, they are accused of helping a crime gang to carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Like Mr. Hutch, they deny the charges and all three are now on trial. So we're now into, I think, week four of the trial. And joining me to go through the last few days' evidence, some of which has been very interesting, uh, is the Star's chief reporter, Paul Healy. Hello, Paul. Hi, Mick. So we haven't done this in in a few days and we know that there was some significant evidence last week. We we might might start there. So really it featured, the the main piece of evidence last week was about a Garda search of the home of Patrick Patsy Hutch on the 25th or after the 25th of February 2016.
1: Yeah, so like... The reason we haven't done this in a couple of days is because we've been getting drips and drabs of information and it, um, we've been collating it and waiting for a day in which we can just kind of put it all together and, and discuss it as a whole. And and what's worth discussing first, as you've mentioned, is this search on Patsy Hutch's home. So we heard about a search on Patsy Hutch's home, but we hadn't heard in detail as to why the guards searched that home, um, how they got the warrant for it and that. We got inform- more information about that last week. So we heard evidence from uh, Detective Sergeant Patrick O'Toole. So he's given evidence already, but he was called again in relation to obtaining a warrant to search the home of Patsy Hutch. And just as we've mentioned before, Patsy Hutch is a brother of Jerry the Monk Hutch. Jerry Hutch is on trial, Patsy Hutch is not. And he's not charged with any offence. Uh, and it's worth stating that. But uh, some of the evidence in relation to this search primarily pertains to the to the two use, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. Um, but I'll come back to that in a moment. So just in relation to the search, there were two searches that we learned about. There was one on the 23rd of February, and there was a second search then on the 25th of February. And and we got a good deal of information as to why the guards basically had to go back a second time. Yes,
0: and we, we know that they, they did go... Part, Detective Sergeant O'Toole went to Dublin District Court to get a, a warrant, because you have to get a warrant before you can enter someone's house to carry out the search. And Detective Sergeant O'Toole gave evidence, I believe that he went and got this warrant because he wanted to carry out a search in relation to the investigation into the murder of David Byrne.
1: Yes, so he had to apply before a court in relation to that and give uh, some of the evidence before the judge as to why uh, that they had suspicions in relation to this particular address. And what was said in court, uh, which is information that we kind of knew previously, but to to hear it on the record in in, in a court of law, uh, which is that Gardy. Uh, suspected that they might have known the identity of one of the individuals who was seen coming out of the Regency Hotel with uh, with the with the uh, the gunman with the flat cap that day. Uh, this was the individual who was dressed in drag with the long blonde wig, uh, a, a man dressed as a woman. And it was said in court last week that, that two members of Angarda identified that individual as being Patrick Hutch Jr. Patrick Hutch Jr. is the son of Patsy Hutch a nephew of the accused, Jerry Hutch. And just to to bring people up to speed in relation to him, there was a very high-profile trial, murder trial, special criminal court trial of Patrick Hutch Jr., which collapsed in 2019. And that was a very dramatic uh, collapse trial, uh, as you can remember, Mick.
0: Yes, and one other thing to add, just for con- for context. Patrick Hutch would be the brother of Gary Hutch, who was murdered by the Kinahan cartel on the Costa del Sol in Spain, 2015. And that was really the catalyst for the feud. And as we know... Up to 18 men have now died as a result of this feud. But anyway, back 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 to the back to the search. So they, they got the search warrant and they entered this house on Champions Avenue.
1: Yeah, just, sorry, just to circle back to Patrick. Coach, uh, he is not before the courts. He's not charged with any offence. There was a null prosecute in relation to his case. His 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 trial collapsed. Uh, and he was not found guilty of any offence in relation to the regency hotel but uh, this evidence is now being heard again in relation to this trial and so they searched this home on the 23rd uh, looking for anything of evidential value uh, they they could have been looking for the, the firearms or anything that, that connected anybody in that house to the regency hotel they searched the home and they conducted it and that was it then they Subsequently back went back on the 25th. So we learned why they went back and this was under cross-examination That that the detective sergeant uh, O'Toole um, Had to make some admissions in relation to what he said was an error um, In relation to the first search and what he said was that in collecting items that day uh, the guards collected various car keys that were in the house of Patsy Hutch um, and that it had been observed that there were a pair of Ford uh, car keys or uh, vehicle keys in the hallway, hanging in the hallway, and that they had not been seized by Gardy. And it was only subsequent to this that he said he obtained information from the from his co-investigators that uh, the, the van that was burnt out. Um, by the regency hit team that they had not actually recovered the ignition key for that van so just to remind people that the the six man hit team that were involved in the regency hotel attack escaped that day uh, in in a, in a silver ford transit van and that was observed on CCTV going out into a nearby housing estate the charlemont estate and it was subsequently burnt out and the guards searched all around this, and they they, obta- they obtained various bits of information and evidence, but they did not find the ignition key. And it was only when the detective sergeant learned that, that he said, hold on a minute, why didn't we go and seize this Ford key from the home of Patsy Hutch? Because we, we need to find out, we need to determine whether that could be the key to the, to the van. Um, so he admitted that it was an oversight that those keys had not been taken that day. Um, and, and so he went back to the court and applied for a second search warrant and went back into the home of Patsy Hutch on the 25th and they searched that home from top to bottom and they never found those alleged keys again um, So, but key to that search is that they actually found ACT swipe cards on the second search on the 25th and those, sorry, I'll correct myself it was an one singular act swipe card that they found uh in in the wallet of a coach belonging to to patsy hutch um the wallet contained patsy hutch's driving license and contained this swipe card and the swipe card was for buckingham village so buckingham village we, we've heard a lot about buckingham village to date this is the alleged meetup spot of all the vehicles involved in the regency hit uh and this is where they met up allegedly we're seen on footage then leaving buckingham village and going towards the vincent's gaa club where they waited for the hit team to come out and aided them in their escape and this swipe card for buckingham village was found in the home of patsy hutch on the second search Uh, And what's key to this is that there was a a subsequent search of Buckingham Village, an address in Buckingham Village, where a box of ACT swipe cards were found by Gardy, and there were two cards uh, missing. And they they identified one ACT card uh, in the vehicle that they seized from the co-accused Paul Murphy from his taxi. We've heard a bit about that already. And the other ACT swipe card in the home of Patsy Hutch. And we've already heard evidence from Paul Murphy that he says he went to Buckingham Village to meet Eddie Hutch that day to pay him, uh, to, to, to sorry, to, to obtain a loan uh, from him. And he says he met Patsy Hutch that day, but said he had nothing to do with the Regency Hotel incident at all. So this was something that's been heavily challenged by the defence. Uh, why did you go back the second day? You didn't find the swipe cards the first day. You didn't need to do a second search. And that's, that was all being challenged and is going to be challenged as to whether it can be heard in evidence against uh, the accused man, Paul Murphy. And, and that's that's still being debated before the court. But it was very interesting to find out in detail about why the guards went in that day and why they had to go back. Uh, and the detective sergeant was quite honest and open in that they, they made an error, they made an oversight in not seizing the keys that they saw the first day and they never found them the second day. Uh, and it would have been quite defined had any key been matched up to the to the van uh, used in the Regency Hotel, but they, they never managed to succeed in that.
0: And we'll never know what the, the keys were because they haven't no. found them? No. Okay, so it'd be interesting, again, I think the the next day on the Friday, there was some really interesting evidence about the... I can't even use the word hierarchy because I think the officer used a different word, but just the, the makeup. We know that there's two gangs involved in the, the feud. There's the Kennehan cartel, which we've written about quite a lot. But this senior officer gave evidence about the Hutch gang, and I think, you know, that might be interesting to go through that.
1: Yeah, so again, you know... Maybe for journalists, crime journalists covering the case, it, it, the existence of the of the Hutch crime gang is not new information necessarily. We know that that there, we've been long calling it the Hutch gang, so to speak. But to have a, a senior Garda and particularly one of such experience come before a court like the Special Criminal Court. Uh, and to formally name an organised crime group and then to go into detail as to the structure of that was fascinating. So just as you've mentioned, Mick, uh, this particular guard would be an expert in, in this field. This is Detective Superintendent David Gallagher. And you know quite a bit about about, about uh, David Gallagher.
0: Yeah, so he's a very experienced anti-gangland officer. Some guards spend most of their career uh, investigating gangland and i think it's fair to say about super the superintendent gallagher that he's one of those officers so he's a one of the senior commanders in the drugs and organized crime bureau and as the name says it's it's out there trying to you know counteract serious organized crime so i've come across superintendent gallagher quite a few cases in in court cases mostly connected with the the kenahan cartel for example, he gave evidence he was involved in the case of Imre Arrakis, who, was, who we know, we, we spoke about him previously, he was done for conspiracy to murder a man called James Gately in Belfast that was foiled in Dublin by the Guard of Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. He also led an operation against a man called Liam Brannigan, who would have been regarded as Daniel Kennin's, I suppose, chief executive of his crime gang in Ireland, and he was involved in a plot to murder a Hutch target, which the drugs and organised crime bureau foiled, and then I think in twenty seventeen, Doc B also, and this is how ironic, life is Superintendent Gallagher led an operation in which Doc B mounted an, opera, uh, an undercover operation to save the life of Patsy Hutch, who three Kinnan uh, gangsters, I suppose, were a few hundred yards away from his house, and there was an intervention by Doc B and the emergency response unit. And there were, there were weapons seized, so there's no doubt that that was an attempt to murder Patsy Hutch. So he is heavily involved in combating the Kinnahans, but he gave, and you were there for this, so I'll be really interested, he gave a really interesting rundown on the Hutch gang.
1: Yeah, well, even before he was able to give that evidence, uh, it was fascinating to see the exchange uh, between the prosecution and the defence in relation to whether this evidence could even be heard. Uh, and and Brandon Grehan uh, the senior counsel who is acting for the defense for Jerry Hutch uh expressed concern previously but went into great detail uh in in front of the three judges um just as to why he felt that that this evidence could potentially damage uh his client Jerry Hutch um and he said that it wasn't necessarily damaging in terms of the case, but even if Jerry Hutch is found innocent of the murder of David Byrne, that this uh, evidence could cling to him for all time, I think he said, um, and, and as an opinion expressed before the court that would damage his client. and it, Effectively, in the court of public opinion, his client would forever be damaged by the evidence from this senior guard. But the judges, uh, Mrs. Justice Tara Burns ultimately didn't uh, agree with that. Uh, and said that you know the, Mr. Hutch was entitled to the fair trial and that not necessary, it wasn't necessarily going to be the case that this evidence would in any way impede his trial because just to state that when this evidence was to be heard it is in relation to the co-accused Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy and it's not to be heard or considered in relation to Jerry Hutch so even though the information is about uh, the alleged Hutch gang, this cannot be considered by the judges as evidence against Jerry Hutch. So anyway, we got to the point in the afternoon where we were able to hear that evidence.
0: And there was nobody, I understand, there was nobody named as, shall we say, look, we always say Daniel Kennehan is the leader of the the, the Kenahan gang, but nobody was named as the leader of the Hutch gang.
1: Yes as we found out it would, you know the evidence was going to be quite general in nature and it wouldn't name any of the defendants uh, either. Um, so it w- it was more or less just giving a breakdown of the organized crime group and uh, we learned a lot from this so so D- uh, Detective Superintendent Gallagher he outlined his experience first of all as you 've mentioned uh, you know he 's twenty eight years in agarchicon he says he 's investigated organized crime groups uh, in Ireland and impacting on Ireland. Uh, his entire career to date was in the arena of drug investigations, serious crime investigations he said so he was the, he 's a foremost expert on organized criminal groups in Ireland. And he said that the Hutch Criminal Organization, that's what he named it as, the Hutch Criminal Organization, he said it was made up uh, of close family members uh, and said that it's less hierarchical li- less hierarchical than other uh, crime groups um, and that it operates on what he called a, a patriarchal system uh, based off loyalty and monetary gain. Um, but he said it's, it was quite a fluid organization. It wasn't necessarily uh, one that was defined by a particular structure and that it, It had various participants, associates, affiliates working together to commit certain crimes, he said, and that sometimes these individuals would operate independently, and sometimes they'd operate together with other criminal groups. But the key event that changed all of that, he said, was the feud. Um, As we know, it started with the murder of Gary Hush, September 2015 and the detective superintendent basically said that from that incident on the, the Hutch criminal organization galvanized uh, came together there was a galvanization sorry as the quote of positions within the criminal organization um and and that galvanization uh, he said was a result of the of the feud with the with the Kinnahan organization and we know that that uh, that went on there were 18 lives uh, that 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 were lost in in, in the course of that feud
0: so that's really interesting. So, did you get the sense that it was sort of, you know, and know we said galvanizing? Was it sort of, you know, circling of the wagons? Did you get that sense? Uh,
1: I, I got the sense that the gang came together and unified. That's the the opinion that I seem to be getting. We certainly were hearing that from sources at the time, and by the actions uh, of the criminal gang. Uh, following uh, the murder of gary hutch that they came together uh, uh very much in, in relation to um how they would respond to the murder of gary hutch um and, and we know um that that in in spite of that they they suffered the, the most casualties in the feud uh, the kinnehan crime gang has far more resources and is far larger than the hutch criminal organization i mean it's a cartel an international cartel with various resources they're responsible for 16 of the murders in the feud um you know so i mean while we keep calling it a feud it, it, was, it was very much a one-sided feud uh to a degree
0: oh there's no doubt paul that it was i always call it an onslaught because in fact it really was an onslaught not just on the hutches, but really on the north inner city community. I mean, you know, you, know you, you work in there and you remember when it was really bad, the armed support unit, the emergency response unit was out. It always reminded me of growing up in Belfast in the seventies, the amount of armed police officers. So it was, I always got the sense that it was an attack on the community in, in that area as well, maybe because the hutches knows everybody and, you know, people is everybody's interconnected. But I always got that sense that they were going after a widespread number of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone associated with 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 the Hutch family at that point were considered a target. There were many people given guard information messages, as we know, uh, and and even in terms of the actual casualties, uh, some of the people who li- whose lives were lost, they were lost because of even tangential association with the Hutch family. So uh, it was a wipeout in many in many ways. But anyway, just we'll move on a bit in relation to just some of the evidence that's been heard today. Yeah, so this is very significant evidence that was heard today in relation to uh, in relation to the car that Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall were allegedly driving in on the twentieth of February two thousand sixteen. We have been hearing uh, that this vehicle was being monitored by Gardy, it was being watched by Gardy, and that it went up and met with Shane Roan. Um, the convicted IRA man who was subsequently found with the Regency, uh, with the AK 47s using the Regency. So what's significant about the evidence here today it was a retired Special Branch inspector was called uh, and he confirmed for the first time before the court that there was a tracker on that Land Cruiser that day. So we now know that there was a tracking device of some description on the Land Cruiser that the Gardy say Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall were in. Uh, and so again, this is going to be further challenged because we know that the defence are arguing that if there was a tracker on this vehicle specifically while it was in Northern Ireland, that that may be illegal. And so they're going to heavily challenge that. And if all of that is ruled inadmissible, well, it's a huge chunk of evidence against Jerry Hutch that can't be considered by the judges. So that's a significant uh, um, piece of information that was confirmed today uh, in the, on what I believe is the sixteenth day uh, of Jerry Hutch's trial.
0: And that is very very significant, and you're right. And and, and the, I'm not going to say the beauty, but from a journalistic or listener perspective, we're very lucky that we can talk about legal arguments in this trial because there's no jury, as you said. There's Missus Miss Just Tara Burns as the presiding judge. She has two other judges with her on the in the court, but there are no there's no jury, so we can we're relatively free to mention to talk about legal challenges and legal arguments so listeners can understand that but that is oh there's no doubt that that's very 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 significant
1: yes uh, another thing i just want to speak to is you know possibly um the public at large might be getting a little frustrated at the pace of this trial something that's fascinating to me is the level of interest in the trial every day that i've been in there uh there has been a huge public presence Um, but you can see there's some frustration with members of the public who maybe aren't as well versed on on the the, the coming and goings of a, of, a, of a trial in that they, they're coming in expecting explosive evidence every day and it doesn't necessarily happen um, this is a lengthy trial as we said it's it's roughly 12 weeks in length but it may go longer and, and it's coming in drips and drabs the evidence it's eventually all going to be put together by the prosecution um, but I would say to people to be somewhat patient uh, if you're expecting to hear some of the so-called bombshell evidence in the coming day or two we really don't know what's coming next but we we do expect that there's several more more weeks of this, um, and it's day by day.
0: And are there are there is there a good amount of civilians trying to get in?
1: There's still a huge amount, yeah. I mean, uh, people can get in. I mean, it's not packed, but uh, there, there is still, I mean, more than any other trial I've ever covered anyway, there is a huge crowd coming in from all over the country. Um, and I've had people messaging me, asking me what time does the trial start and am I able to go in? So, I mean, and I've had, I've had several people saying that to me. You've probably had people saying it to you as well, Mick. So, I mean, there's just huge... I have, yeah. There's just huge public interest in it.
0: Well, it's good for people to see how... Justice works. Paul, that's great stuff. Can we just talk about a story you had in the Star today? Another key element of this case is obviously going to be the uh, evidence of Jonathan Dowdall. We know that he has pleaded guilty to facilitating the murder of David Byrne and has been given a sentence, but he is now being assessed. for. We know that he's going to give evidence in this case, and he is being assessed for the witness security program, but he is in prison. He handed himself in to serve his, is it four years? sentence? He has a four-year sentence. Four-year sentence. Okay. So you've got a great story in the star today about his, uh, his, his him being in custody and his state of mind.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, again, as you said, because this is a special tri- criminal court trial, we can discuss around it uh, and we can discuss things in, in relation to Jonathan Dowdall, who we know is going to be a key witness in this case. But we've learned that he's in Limerick Prison He's on an isolated uh, landing on Limerick Prison. I, I believe there are only four cells there, uh, and I think uh, only three of them are occupied. So one of them is Jonathan Dowdall. The other is his father, Patrick Dowdall, who's serving a two-year sentence. And uh, I understand then um, that there is a, another individual in the third cell uh, who, who has been convicted over the murder of the, uh, the, the Irish champion boxer, Kevin Sheehy. So those are the only three individuals I understand to be on that landing. Uh, but they're locked up 23 hours a day. Uh, they get a little bit of break time, but they come out individually. But what, what I've learned from sources in relation to Jonathan Dowdall, which I found quite extraordinary, is that he put up a bit of a protest, so to speak, as to his conditions in there. Um, he's not happy about the fact that he's locked up and that he's isolated, and specifically that he's not able to mix with the general prison population. Um, That is in spite of the ongoing threat to his life. Um, You know, he has enemies around every corner. Uh, uh, We've been told he's the most high-profile prisoner in the prison system. Uh, You would hope that maybe he might have some... um, realization of his situation. But my understanding is that he has protested. He has said to the authorities, you know, I should be able to mix like any other prisoner in the general prison population, which is quite extraordinary.
0: And there's obviously, as you say, there's a reason why he's in protection. If you're in protection, it's because you're at risk. Is, do we have an indication how the authorities have reacted to his request?
1: Well, my understanding is they they haven't reacted to his request. Uh, They have more or less, I don't want to say they've laughed it off, but uh, it's not being taken particularly seriously. Um, I would imagine that he has been reminded of his situation, which is somewhat unique. Um, And they are responsible for keeping him safe. Uh, Of course, obviously the guards have to assess the threat, but he's in the custody of the Irish Prison Service. He's an extremely high-profile prisoner, and they're not going to allow anything to happen to him. Um, So he would be considered a major target. He's going to be a significant witness in this special criminal court trial in the coming weeks. So they have to keep him safe. They have to keep him protected. And and his situation is probably more or less going to remain the same.
0: And they have a Judaic care towards him, in essence.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. Well, th- thanks very much for listening to us again. We're, we're going to uh, continue to do this, as we said, whenever there's material to discuss. There are going to be days that are quite procedural, but we're going to put it all together and talk to you about it whenever we can.
0: That's great stuff. Thanks, Paul.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shattered Lives. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, feel free to listen to our back catalogue.
0: And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. This series is produced by Kieran Bradley and is a production for Reach.